Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 665 for the third of Tishrei in a regular year. Today is what's known as Tzom Gedalia. That's the fast of Gedalia, the day after Rosh Hashanah we usually fast. And it's in in commemoration of a man named Gedalia, who was a righteous leader. He was the governor of Judea in the times of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, and he was murdered. And, um, And this murder caused the Jews, it was the impetus for many of the Jews to flee uh, Israel at that time and to go to Egypt. And um, this is what really solidified what's known as the Babylonian exile, the uh, Galus Bavel. So we fast on this day. So for those of you who are fasting, I wish you all a very meaningful fast. And maybe take take some time to read a little bit more about the day and about Gedalia and about what it, what it's all about. So with that being said, let's begin today's episode. So as many of you know, I am a retired yoga teacher. I don't teach yoga anymore. I do practice yoga a lot myself and I send out yoga teachers to teach for clients, but I no longer teach myself. I used to teach though. And I remember a specific moment back in the day when I was teaching that really stood out to me and it sort of shook me up a little bit. What was this moment? This was a moment where I was teaching a class and I was staring out the window and I was kind of walking around the room and I suddenly realized that I was totally spaced out. I had spaced out for a moment, um, which sometimes I tend to do. You know, we all are guilty of that at some time or another. But the crazy thing about it was, is that even though I was really spaced out, I mean, I was like looking out the window and totally distracted by either something outside or something within my thoughts, I was still teaching the class. And I was saying the words of the class, giving directions for the yoga perfectly. (laughs) And I was giving very precise directions, um, very specific instructions as to do the different poses. And the students in the class, as far as I'm aware, had absolutely no idea that I spaced out at that moment. And then I started to wonder, like, was this the first time that this has has happened? If it happened then, I'm sure it had happened before. And it was actually very incredible to me to think about that, how I could, on the one hand, be totally spaced out, totally not present in the room in terms of what I'm thinking about, but at the same time, speak and say words that I'm totally not conscious of, but they make sense and they're totally comprehensible. Like, how is this possible? Right? So the answer to this, and this is going to be the subject of today's Tanya, in fact, is that I had these words weren't coming out of nowhere. It wasn't like I was being possessed, you know, by a spirit that was coming in and and saying these words for me. I had said these words countless times. This was probably my 
hundredth or so yoga class, who knows how many times I've taught yoga. And while each class is really different, there's a lot of repetition. A lot of the alignment cues are similar. A lot of the ways, the meditations of how I get people into the mindfulness of the pose and what they need to focus on, the breathing, all of that is very similar. So these were words that I had said countless, countless times. So I was kind of in this state of like an automaton, like just like saying them in this kind of like automatic way. It just kind of came out um, in a way that I didn't really have to be so conscious of at that time. We see this sometimes the same phenomenon happen with actors, right? That you see actors in a play or in a movie or something like that, that sure, they really want to get into the part that they're acting. But at the same time, there's a lot of other things going on in their mind. And at that point, they may have memorized their lines so well that it's like in the moment when they're actually speaking the lines out loud, all they're really thinking about is like, a bunch of other things like like don't blush, don't sweat, don't stammer, don't do that. But then the words themselves are coming out. You most likely have had this experience as well, where it's like you're you're saying one thing to somebody, but you're thinking about something else. You, let's say you meet somebody for the first time and they ask you what your name is. And in your head, you're like maybe feeling self-conscious or or feeling really uh, uh worried about what they think about you or whatever it is or maybe you're not in that kind of nervous way but maybe you're just like kind of planning the day ahead of you and thinking about where you need to go and how you really need to end the conversation because you're in a big rush but at the same time you're having a conversation with them and the person you're having a conversation with them with has no idea that this is what you're thinking and you're actually able to carry on a whole coherent conversation so what's this about? How is this possible? So this is possible because the words that you're speaking, the language that you're using, the sentences you're making up are found within your mind. They didn't just come out of nowhere. This isn't the first time that you've ever formulated these words before in your mind. Just like when I was teaching that yoga class, I've many times said like, you know, inhale, lift your arms up to the sky, exhale, fall forward, you know, whatever it is. Like I've said these words so many times that they're there, they're ingrained in my thoughts. And so now when they're manifest into my speech, this is these, the, the vestige of my thoughts are coming out in the speech. Even if I'm not totally conscious of them at the time, and even if, even if I'm not totally like there and present in a full way, the, the way that these words are able to come about, the power that they're getting to be able to come out and, and, and I'm able to speak these words is from this vestige of wisdom within my thought. So this brings us back. So why are we talking about this today? So if you have been following along with the past couple of episodes, this the subject of the uh, of the epistle that we've been learning about is actually all about this level, this level of the vestige of wisdom, the vestige of God's wisdom specifically. And we talked about how this was the level that Moses, that Moshe Rabbeinu experienced in his prophecy was this vestige of God's wisdom. And in uh, Kabbalistic terminology, we, we term this the, that it was manifest through the levels of Netzachod Yisodom Malchus, which are the four lower spheres. But really ultimately where they are getting like this, what, what's ultimately in vested within those lower lower spheres is the vestige of the highest of the spheres, which is Chochmah. So the, the vestige of the Chochmah. And we talked about how this vestige of Chochmah is also 
Torah. That's that's what Torah is, really. When we study God's Torah, Torah is the vestige of God's wisdom, and that's why Moshe was a good conduit to be able to transmit the Torah to us. So today we are going to delve into this subject, the subject of the vestige of wisdom and what that means exactly, and the way that we're going to look at it is through language. Through understanding the various components of language, the uh, the form of letters, the sound of letters, the letters themselves, the the uh, as they are, and what that means. So I think we should just get into the text and kind of explain it as we go. And for context, we are this is going to be concluding Epistle nineteen. But what is really interesting about this section is if you look at it, Tanya, it's sort of like its own little paragraph, this section. And through a little bit of research, I actually found out that this paragraph was actually added on much later in the year 1900. The Ultra Rebbe included this paragraph much later. So it was not originally included in the original epistle. So just interesting insight. So it's kind of like just like a little addendum to this epistle, giving us again an, an understanding. The purpose of it is to give us this understanding of what we mean when we talk about a vestige of wisdom that that's what Moshe experienced that's what the Torah is like what does this mean exactly so we can come to understand it through understanding the way that we relate to language so here we go so the Altarab begins this section today and he says that the letters that are uh, that are revealed to us um, have three aspects to them. What are the three aspects of, of letters? There's the action of the letters, the speech of the letters, and the thought of the letters. So the Maise, Dibur, and Machshava. Maise is action, Dibur is speech, and Machshava is thought. So you'll see throughout Chassidus, there's a very often things are broken down in this way in terms of like the action, the speech, and the thought of the thing and what all of that means. This is a very common uh, categorization. And so now to explain how this relates to letters and what that's about. So the Altarabist says, what is the action of the letters? The action of the letters is the actual uh, form of the letters themselves in the Ktav Ashuri. It's in the, in the um, the Assyrian script that you find in the Torah scroll. So if you ever open a Sefer Torah and you see the, those like ancient looking Hebrew letters, the forms, those forms of the letters, like the actual like um, calligraphy of the letters, that's what we call the action of the letters. That's like sort of like the lowest form. It's like this is the the form, the, the substance of the letters themselves, right? Then we have the... Uh, the letters of speech. What's the letters of speech? The letters of speech are engraved in the breath and in the voice. And this is divided up into 22 different parts, each one different in their form. So this we spoke about previously in Tanya quite in depth about how all the letters of speech, they, they form a different formation in in sound they make a different sound right and we like enunciate them in a different way using the different um, organs of articulation so like if I say the letter hey that's going to sound a certain way and it's I'm using my vocal cords in a certain way if I say the word the letter bet I'm using uh, my lips I'm using my tongue in a certain way there's there's a certain each one of the letters it's like they're formed in a different way through the organs of articulation of speech and they make a different sound it's the sound of the letter so it's the enunciation and the utterance of the 22 letters and interestingly the ultra says this is in all languages so the ultra is implying here that basically even though 
we specifically think of 22 letters, we're talking about the Hebrew language, the Hebrew language has 22 letters. The ultra is basically saying that in a broad sense, if we look at all the languages in the entirety of the world, he says that there is, there are 22 categories of these sounds. So I, I, I don't know if anybody studies linguistics, if they could verify this in some way, but basically the ultra is saying there are 22 like letters like like articulations verbal articulations found in every single language so if this is the case that these articulations are found in every single language what then is the difference when it comes to hebrew when it comes to what we call the lashana kodesh the the holy tongue and other languages so the only difference says the altar of it, is in is in terms of the combinations so the combinations that are present when it comes to the hebrew letters is what makes them actually holy this is what distinguishes them in that way so uh so just to know that now okay so now we talked about the the action of the letters right which is the actual form of the letters as they're found in a torah scroll then we have the the speech of the letters and that's like the enunciation of the letters the sounds that they make that we make through our vocal cords and then lastly we have the thought of letters what's the thought of the letters this is any language that a person thinks in this is um this is the actual words and the letters of that language so like the language that you think in. We all think in different languages, right? <clears throat> I know for me, for a while, I mean, I and now I pretty much only think in English, but for a while when I was living in Israel as a kid, I actually spoke a thought in Hebrew. And for many years, I always thought it was really interesting that uh, I would mostly think in English once I moved back to Canada. But when I would do math, for some reason, my brain would revert back to Hebrew. Maybe because like I learned a lot of math in Israel. I'm not really sure, but I thought that was really interesting. And to this day, sometimes I'll find if I'm counting or I'm doing math or something, little bits of like Hebrew thought will come back to me. So this thinking, the, the language you think in basically, that is the thought of of, of the letters. So, and again, Al Sharpa says there's 22, there's, there's 22 different types of thoughts like letter thoughts in in the mind so this might sound really abstract like what do we mean by this so the ultra actually elaborates a little bit and he says that within this realm of thought the letters of thought there's actually three aspects to these letters so what are the three aspects so we see that let's say if you see the visual form of the letters in a torah scroll uh so then you, this gets pictured in your thought so it's like, right, it's like you see, you look in a Torah scroll, you see an olive, let's say, and then that olive gets imprinted in your mind and you see that olive in your head right now. So that is what we call the action and thought. So it's that level, because remember we said that the form of the letter is the maise, the action of the letter. So now that that, uh, that, that form is now visualized in your mind, that is in your thought, but it's the action of the thought. And so too, okay, so now what happens if you hear the thoughts of the the letters of speech so let's say if somebody's speaking to you and you're listening you're listening to a lecture you're listening to someone talk to you whatever it is so those letters of speech now go into your mind and you're hearing them and you're thinking about them so this is what we call the debor shava the speech and thought this is your your speaking thought we could some people the ultra doesn't talk about this here but um but it's something to mention you could talk to yourself so it's like sometimes there's speech of thought that you yourself are having a conversation with yourself in your own head that would also be the realm of speech of thought 
And the altar rabbi says that this relates to the level of Yitzira, to the world of Yitzira. So it's like in the realm, again, there's these maps kind of that like come up a lot. So Asiya, the world of action, is the lowest one. So that relates to this the level of action, action of thought. Then there's Yitzira, which is the world of formation. And that relates to the realm of speaking. So speaking thought. And then we have the realm of the thought, the, the letters of thought themselves without meditation, without letters of speech. This is just the thought of thought. This is the level of Bria. This is the level of the next world above, which is the world of thought. And that's the world of Bria. What that means, like thought of thought, like just like thinking without, um, without articulation, without communication, without meditation, it's, it's hard to articulate that exactly because it's specifically not articulate. It's specifically not something you can visualize, but it's sort of like just, it's, it's like kind of just thinking in this like more abstract way. I remember having a whole conversation with a friend of mine where we were talking about like, do you think in sentences? Do you think in pictures? How do you think? And how we thought it was interesting that a friend of ours said that she very clearly thinks in sentences and like, she sort of like talks to herself while she's thinking. So that could be one type of thinking, but there's another type of thinking here that would be considered that talking to yourself while you're thinking would be in the realm of the speech of thought. But another type of thinking that's not where you're having a conversation with yourself, but it's more just like, it's like these floating thoughts kind of that aren't really coherent sentences really. It's just like thoughts in and of themselves. That's the realm of thought of thought. And that's the realm of Bria. So, okay. So that's, that's, everything going on within the realm of thought. Okay, now the altruist said, now he's going to get into the realm of speech. So he says, so we, so we spoke about in a, in a general way, we said that the, the letters of speech are that those verbal articulations, those enunciations, right? So he says that these letters of speech, they come, they receive the vitality, they come into being and they receive the vitality from thought. So there's a connection between thought and speech. So it's not like there's these three separate categories that have nothing to do with one another. So when we speak, usually we're speaking because we think about something. We think something and then we say it out loud. Like we want to communicate a certain thing. We want to say like, uh, where's the bathroom? You know, can I have a piece of cake? Whatever it is, it's like you think in your head, I need the bathroom. I would like a piece of cake. And then you say those words out loud, right? So it's like the, the speech follows the thought. However, says the altar rabbit, and this is something I had mentioned in the introduction, there are times that a person speaks one thing but thinks about something else, right? So like I said, you're having a conversation with somebody and you're having a whole conversation with them that's very articulate, but in your head, you're like, oh my gosh, when is this conversation going to end? I really need to get home. I have so much to do, right? Or I really have to go to the bathroom or... Um, I I hope this person likes me, whatever it is, these thoughts that actually you're thinking about things that have nothing to do with what's being communicated. Or like I described when I was teaching that yoga class and I was speaking, teaching the class, but on the inside, who knows what I was thinking about? I was totally distracted. So how does this happen? So the ultra says, even in such a case where it might seem like there's a disconnect, like a person might say like, oh, there isn't really this connection between speech and thought because aha, I could say that I could speak one way, but think about something totally different at the same time. The altar rabbi says, okay, yes, that's true that you may be able to say things and be thinking about something else, but nevertheless, you can only say things that, uh, that you already spoke about previously 
and were like this combination of letters was already spoken by you and were in your thought for many times. So again, so like that yoga class I taught, the only way that I was able to teach that yoga class in this very like automated way is because I had taught many yoga classes before that. If this was the first yoga class I ever taught, I highly doubt that I'd be able to with such, um, finesse be able to just like glide through the class without actually being conscious of the words I was saying right or so too if you're having a conversation with somebody and you're thinking about something else the only way the only way you're able to talk and have a whole conversation is because these are words that are very familiar to you and that you've spoken many times it's probably not going to be a time that you're going to um say a new vocabulary word that you just discovered and read in a book somewhere but never said out loud right it's probably not going to be when you're having this like abstract um this very like spaced out conversation with somebody so when so so when a person is speaking even if they're not fully present in what they're speaking and they're thinking about something totally different the altarabas says that it that's because at some point you did speak those these words at some point you did think about these words and the and the the combinations and these words and these combinations of letters they uh they left uh an imprint a rishimu in hebrew or we can say a vestige and they left an imprint and the imprint of that thought is what entered into them many many times entered into that speech and so through all of this, this is where the ultra bit concludes and brings it back home, brings it all together. He says, all of this, this vestige of your thought, this is what we call the, the backside and the externality of the Netzachod Yesod from the supernal face that comes down here into the lower realm to be able to become his faculty of the mind and vitality. So very abstract note to end on, but it's, if you've been following along the past few episodes, hopefully it makes a little bit of sense that again, it's like basically this, uh, this final product of speaking in a way that it's like, you're not totally conscious, but like you're able to do that because the, the, the imprint of your, of your thoughts and your speech is there. That is what we call the vestige of your thought. So, and this can help us relate a little bit on some level to what we've been talking about previously about what it was that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to experience and what gets transmitted to us um, from God's attributes through the Torah. So that's it for today. And we will continue tomorrow where we begin a new epistle, Epistle 20. And, uh, and I'll speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzchak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Top project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.